It's about correction. We don't think of that song in that way, but that song, Prone to Wander, My Heart, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Teach Me Some Melodious Sonnet. What we're going to do at Cornerstone is we're going to sing one song at the beginning. In the weeks to come, we'll have the children join us. These songs are here to teach you theology so that you in your home, after your kids have heard it, you can teach your kids those songs. And so that the word of the Lord and the hymns that have stood the test of centuries can help you shepherd your homes and your families. There are nights when Julie and I are so tired, and it's our Monday night when we've set aside, once a week we set aside a time for us to read scripture and pray together. But there's sometimes after you put the rugrats down, they're not here so I can call them rugrats, the beloved rugrat, you're so tired, you plop on the couch and you can barely process. I don't know how Americans say that word. But anyway, so Julie and I will um, open up a hymn book, and we have the hymns of grace, but you can get any hymn. But we, we did that. It was a Jonathan Edwards scholar who taught us and taught me who said, every person should have a hymn book. It should be the second book that you have after the Bible because it gives profound and deep theological and doctrinal instruction. And for our children, it's a way in which we can introduce them to the deep truths of God's Word. I was talking to Tyler, and Tyler was talking about getting to Romans 6 and reading through Romans 6, and oh, it goes deep. It does. Well, many of those truths that we learn that are hard when we read the Scriptures have been poetically and concisely put together to instruct us and to encourage our hearts in the hymnal. Okay, so when I was at Grace, I went up to Clayton Herb and said, do you have an old hymnal? And he gave me two of them. And so on those nights when Julie and I are totally wrecked, we'll just sit down. I said, it's a Psalm 23 hymn night. We'll read Psalm 23 to remind us that the Lord is still in charge of our home in spite of the fact that we feel crazy. I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel that way on occasion. And we'll sing, you know, anywhere from one to three hymns and to go through that. And it serves as a way in which the Lord ministers to us. Okay, and, and where we're going is how do we live out the faith in our homes? I want to encourage you that hymns are not only for church on Sunday. They're there for the people of God, and neither were the Psalms to encourage you and, and to lift you up and to teach you and instruct you and to correct our hearts. Okay? Now, our theme today is correction, and uh, the Lord graciously interceded on your behalf and said we should do a two-part rather than a one-part because there's a lot there and there's a lot of controversies in correction. What we're going to try and do is, because everybody gets sleepy, myself included, after we eat chicken and waffles, in the days ahead at Cornerstone, you pray and help, and we will see if we can get some stimulant and caffeine in the days ahead. But uh, we don't have any now. It's part of God's common grace to us, okay? And we're not Mormons, so we can drink coffee. But... Um, We'll do some basic truths over the next 10 to 15 minutes, maybe 20, and then we're going to break up into small groups just to hear one another's requests or interact with one another and take 10 or 15 minutes to pray. If we have time left over, I'll answer any questions that you have, though um, last time you all skedaddled and there were no questions lodged, which means I'm assuming everybody's good to go to teach on correction. You can all go out and do the Bible study on correction. One of the things that comes up in correction in Christian circles is everybody talks about, do we use the rod or do we not use the rod? That's the big thing. Are we Christians? Are we homeschoolers? Do we use the rod or do we not use the rod? Okay? Well, 
I want to warm your brains up a little bit as we think about, oh, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child, and are we uh, going to go to jail for abusing our kids? That's usually what people want to think about with uh, correction. So let's go to that venerable source, the Wall Street Journal, from September 16th, 2021. And it says, adults are throwing tantrums in restaurants, planes, and at home. Blame the pandemic. And then it goes through hearing from psychologists about why people are blowing up and cussing each other out in Trader Joe's and all other places and why all these things are going viral. That adults are throwing temper tantrums, blame the pandemic. Okay? And here's your big truth for the day. Okay? We're going to read in a little bit uh, 1 Timothy 1. And we're going to see how that applies to correction in the household of God and correction in the home. And I believe it is highly applicable to parents. And here's the big truth that I believe Paul makes because he does address children in uh, 1 Timothy end of 5 and 6. Okay? We need to be corrected by the Lord, and we need to have corrected hearts before we can even think about correcting our children in a way that pleases the Lord, okay? That's where we're going. And so the big question before we even talk about rod or no rod and how do we shepherd our children, the bigger question is, do we have hearts that are willing to be corrected by the Lord, and do we know the joy and delight of what it is to be corrected by a good father, a heavenly father, and to be corrected by the gospel? If that's not the case, then we don't have a hope of really providing a correction that God desires for the church, for our relationships, and for our home, and for our household, okay? So that's, that's the big picture. Could I have my first slide, please? Okay. This was from uh, an article in CNBC, okay, and it was done by a child psychologist. I don't know whether you can read the print or not. I can't because I'm old, so um, I'm going to use my phone here, okay? And it says, raising intelligent, confident, successful kids. Who wants that? Well, we all do, right? Who wants stupid insecure and unsuccessful kids. No one, right? Okay, well, this child psychologist goes through four parenting styles, okay? And you can see the arrow. It goes up into responsiveness and demandingness, okay? And style one on the left is permissive. The child-driven rarely gives or enforces rules, overindulges child to avoid conflict, and then that results in a very self-centered child, okay? The neglectful, i.e. absent parent, where the parents aren't around. That's the one underneath, okay? Uninvolved, absent, provides little nurturance or guidance, indifferent to child social, emotional, and behavioral needs. Then it goes over on the lower right-hand corner, authoritarian. Now, this is the one which most people think of Christians being. Uh, these are the charges that are typically meant, made about Christian homes, and probably the drive and the direction of legislation is going is that we gaslight our kids and we, uh, um, you know, we're manipulative and we're indoctrinating people to do things that they don't want to do, and church discipline is viewed in the same way, the authoritarian, okay? Parent-driven, sets strict rules and punishment, one-way communication with little consideration of child's social, emotional, and behavioral needs, okay? It's, it's unilateral, right? Pretty clear, Okay. 
authoritative. Now, this article is all about saying that all the research and all the data done by psychologists indicate that the best results in raising intelligent, confident, and successful kids is the authoritative model. It's not authoritarian, it's authoritative. It solves problems together with the child. It sets clear rules and expectations. It gives open communication and natural consequences. Okay, and as you read through the article, there's a lot of things about the authoritative model of shepherding a home that provides really the best model for our families and our kids. And the psychologist who writes this makes the point, though, too, that at the same time, many homes basically cycle between these four models depending on the crisis or the problem. There are times where parents will switch to be authoritarian, they'll try to be authoritative, and then there's times when parents are just gone, like when Julie and I are singing hymns on the couch. No. Anyways, we wait till our kids are down and we've given them Benadryl or melatonin and knock them out with drugs before we do that. I'm, don't call CAS. I'm just kidding. Okay? I'm Canadian. So, um, most of us are going to, I'll, I'll say this up front. We're more psychologized than we care to admit, and most of us will gravitate to the authoritative. Most of us will find the authoritative authoritarian a little uncomfortable because we've grown up in homes where authority has been abused, okay? Or it has been expressed in anger, um, and discipline has been expressed in extremes of absinthe to rage, okay? Now, very simply as you look at this, and I would say of these, if I had to pick, I'd pick the authoritative, not the authoritarian or the permissive or the, you know, the neglectful. What's missing in the authoritative, in the best of the bunch? Okay, the Bible, Josephine, that is a correct answer. Okay? How is this different from the Bible. Isn't God authoritative? Don't we want to set clear expectations and rules? Don't we want to problem solve together with our children? And don't we want them to understand that there are natural consequences if they walk across the street or they cuss out a bully? There's going to be natural consequences and there's going to be problems. Mrs. Chin, you get, you get the lottery. She's from my home. No. Um, no, but it, when you look at it superficially, you can say they sound the same, but in fact, they couldn't be more different. That's the way of the world, guys, okay, and gals. The world imitates, and it provides counterfeit kingdoms, and it does the best they can to get the greatest hits of the Bible while leaving out Christ. It's always, that's what Herod does. Herod's got a counterfeit crown, and he does everything to mimic to say he's king of the Jews, and he removes the genealogy, and he goes to the high priest, and he sets up a temple, and it's all a charade. It's a greatest hits. And the most important thing that makes it tick, Christ is removed. And what ends up happening is it becomes very man-centered. Okay? But we fall for it because we want the blessing without the blessor. So it becomes parent-driven. 
It does. And if it's parent-driven, it means it's very man-centered. And man-centered can do well in the beginning, but in the end, obviously nobody's going to say it's a replacement for Christ. But is this what God had in mind when he sent his son to die on the cross for you? What's the goal of this parent-driven model? It's up there in the title. It's not rocket science, men. You can read it and look like a star. It's that your child becomes what? Intelligent, confident, and successful. Okay? I don't know who by whose standards. Well, we do know. It's right. It's Yale and Harvard and Stanford and... UCLA, okay? That's the goal. So parents, first of all, what's your goal for your children? Is it that they would be intelligent? Is it that they would be successful? And is it that they would be confident? Now let's think about that. Last Saturday, found me on the sideline shouting at a soccer game. It was my boys' soccer game, Okay? When we watch sports, when we engage in all of these different things, we want a winner, right? And that extends to our jobs, our careers, all of those different things, okay? The goal here is really contrary to the gospel. It doesn't work for special needs kids, does it? It doesn't work for kids whose parents are screaming and shouting and they can't sleep at night and they're given a diagnosis of ADHD and they're having a hard time focusing because the home and the stress life is through the roof, right? It doesn't work for huge segments of the population, but this is what we aspire to, okay? And I just want to say, parents, if this is your goal, once again, are we walking with the Lord? I believe he has something far better. And so this is really a stealth bomber. It's parent-driven. Christ is nowhere to be found. And its goal is contrary to the gospel. Okay? And quite frankly, this is a goal that informs homeschooling as much as the public schools and much of the education and what they boast and what they sell you on about how your kids have this incredible memory at a young age and you want all this data and information and let's learn it now so that they can think with logic and reason. That's not bad in and of itself, okay? But God didn't come and send his son so that you could have a Christian worldview and he didn't come and die so that your kids could go to a top university and so that they could be confident and successful. And if that's the path we're going, we're worshiping at a different altar, And many are the sorrows of those who follow after other gods, okay? So as we think about correction, we have to think of our own hearts. First of all, what are our gods and what are our goals, okay? And what is the path that we walk? What do we desire for ourselves? Because pretty much for the most part in many families, your children will go one of two directions. They'll either embrace your goals or they'll run in the opposite direction. That was my dad, I don't want to be anything like him, or hey, you know, my dad was a Redskins fan, I'm going to watch the Washington team, okay? Do I lie? No, it's true, we're more of that than we care to admit, okay? Well, can I have my next slide, please? Okay, if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to uh, 1 
Timothy chapter 1. And we'll read this together, okay? And I'm going to come to you and say my overwhelming conviction is that Paul very, very clearly in 1 Timothy provides us with a life-giving framework in which to love our families, our children, and the members of the household of God that ends up fulfilling God's goals for us. And it's because it's driven by Christ and the gospel. It's not driven by our goals or those alleged man-centered medium or methods. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. What's the Apostle Paul asking Timothy to do here and throughout the rest of 1 Timothy. That's absolutely right. And what exact and what is that, Matt? <clears throat> Can you give one word for it? Read my mind. What is it to go and charge certain people not to teach certain doctrines in in the household of God? Correct. He's correcting. He's calling Timothy to correct the church. In fact, as you go through the entire book of 1 Timothy, there's lots of stuff that isn't going right. And Paul is calling on Timothy to make corrections. Okay? Is that right? Do I lie? You can say I lie. That's okay. He's, he's calling Timothy to correct those situations and those things. And globally, it's everything that deviates from what? When we sing that song, Prone to Wander, okay, it's talking about stray sheep, right? So what exactly has the church in Ephesus strayed from? What are they wandering from, even in this first several verses? They've moved away from the sound doctrine that accords with godliness. And then he goes on and shows that they basically moved away from the gospel, right? The good news of what God has done to save sinners through the life and death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as we've said before in Lagos, it's messing up their worship, it's messing up their marriages, it's messing up their leadership, it's messing up how they care for one another. Why? Because the new life in Christ was designed to be lived with Christ. He's the one 
who gives our light, our power, our encouragement, our strength. He's the one who transforms us. He's the one who changes us. He's the one who forgives us. Where does the power come to forgive? Where does it come to reconcile? Where does it come to do anything that is decent and good? It's not in you and I. And this is why the parent-driven model fails. The best parent does not have the capacity to forgive. The best parent does not have the capacity to give grace. The best parent cannot teach or speak the truth in love. Why? We forget. We're sinners. Are we not? We were born totally depraved. And the only good that we have is what Christ has given us. Is that true or not? It is. And in fact, what Paul is doing, I'm going to propose to you as you go through 1 Timothy, he's correcting Timothy. So I want you to see how this looks, okay? If you look up on, on the slide I have. Christ's salvation, his sanctification, and his shepherding involves gracious and truthful correction. That word correction in Greek is epan orthosis, like orthotics or orthopedics. It's the idea, and this is very different than those goals to succeed. It's taking something that's broken and making it straight, like a bone. So that the person with the broken leg can have a straightened leg and the bone is set so that they one day they can walk again as they were designed to walk. The idea of correction is that Christ with his gospel has come in. Sin has broken us. He's broken, sin has broken our marriages, our relationships, our mind, our understanding. And when Christ comes in, he redeems what we learned this morning. And he goes through every aspect of our life, our work life, our marriage life, our parenting, each of those different aspects, starting with our heart. And he begins correcting. He begins taking what's broken and he begins straightening it. And he does it with the authoritative model. No, he does it with the good news of Jesus Christ. He does it by the power of his Holy Spirit. He does it by his word. He does it through the local church. And he does it through his presence in our lives. It's not the Bible. So often we look at correction. As this, we'll read through Proverbs, make a list of all the things to do. We do it in our home. We put the list up of the Ten Commandments, and our kids are going to be great. No, our kids are just going to be Pharisees. Right? Because only the gospel changes a heart. Okay? And we see how Jesus graciously does this. He corrects Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul, in turn, points Timothy to the gospel, and then when is needed, he corrects. Now, what's important to see is correction is not everything. The context of correction is important. This is why when we grow up and we're aversion to physical discipline is the context of a lot of the correction that many of us grew up with, the context was anger. It was the flesh. Okay? But with the gospel, it's a loving father where correction is redemptive, not punitive. Is there punishment? Yes. Does it hurt sometimes? And yes, we'll talk about that, Lord willing, the next time we get together to see when and how God brings the rod. And he certainly does bring the rod. And there are places where the rod is needed. But the context is the infinite and holy love of the Father who gave his son to die so that we could be forgiven and restored and our hearts could be made straight so we could walk with him in love. 
That is the goal. The goal, and I would hope the goal for the household of God, and the goal by extension is the same should be for our families, is not Harvard and Yale and the NFL and, and all of those other things. Hopefully, if you could say to me, Mark, you got two choices. You could have Santa Monica Community College, East LA Community College, Ethan and Josh are saved, or you could have Harvard and Yale with a question mark. Which one would you pick? No question in my mind, right? No question in my mind, right? The goal of correction ultimately is to point us and bring us to Christ. The goal of why we gather at church, brothers and sisters, is to point one another to Christ. The goal of everything that we do is bringing the little children to Jesus to be in the presence of Jesus. That's why there can be an impact, even if our kids don't understand. Even if it's not a children's church that they come out and say, that was great, they gave us a donut, we did prizes, we threw the football, it was awesome. I want to go back to that church. Did they come into the presence of Christ? If we believe there's a Holy Spirit, if we believe Christ is tangibly present, if we believe as we gather around the Lord's table and we witness baptism and we hear the word of God that Christ is present, you know what? Our kids, whether they know it or not, are coming into contact with the presence and spirit of Christ. That's our goal, and that's the desire for the household and for the home. We don't know how to correct many times because... If we're honest with ourselves, we feel uncomfortable with correction and we've resisted correction in our own lives because that's based on our negative experiences rather than the gospel. And where the Lord is taking us is He's moving us away from being experienced or feeling-driven to be Christ-driven, right? So let's think about one minute, Acts chapter 9, how did God and how did Jesus shepherd the apostle Paul and how did He correct him? Was Paul walking towards the gospel? No. Okay? Paul was a bad man. I mean, he's throwing people into jail, he's separating families, and he is an instrument of Christians getting killed, holding the coats as they stone Stephen. I mean, it's bad. All right? If he was a child, he'd be in military school, right? He'd be expect, I mean, it's, it, how does Jesus, okay, Jesus shows up on the road to, to Damascus. He confronts him face to face. He blinds him, and that's very interesting, for a man whose experience was all about what he could read and what he could see and the pride that came from that, okay? He takes away his independence and his vision, and he speaks to him, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he brings him to the gospel by showing that everything that Saul is doing that he thinks is amazing and excellent, and this can extend to our businesses, our academia, and all our achievements. That's why when you go to Philippians, what does Paul say? I count as, yeah, loss, right? And I consider it as scubalong, okay, which is... You know, four-letter word almost. It's, 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 it's just disgusting dung, right? In comparison to the value of knowing Christ, all of those things that I boasted about. 
my achievements as a rabbinical student, my achievements as a Jew, all of those things, they're, they're trash. And so Jesus comes and points out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That you are directly attacking me in everything that you're doing that's culminating in the persecution of the church. And then he just tells him to go, right, to straight street and he'll get taken care of. And then he's there for three days without sight and he's fasting. Now, think about how gentle, think about how gracious, think about how loving, think about how truthful, think about how firm, no messing around, our Lord and Savior is with the Apostle Paul. And you begin to get a taste of how the Father corrects and disciplines his children, and how his correction is redemptive and restores because the Father explains, or Jesus, excuse me, I'm wrong, Jesus explains, all right, to the man who's taking care of Saul, that he has great plans for him and that Saul will suffer greatly for the sake of the gospel, but he's going to be a mighty instrument in the gospel going out to the Gentiles. And that's the sweet thing about our Father. Our Father has a long-term view He's got a very clear goal, and he understands where we're going to be and his plans that he's going to finish, Philippians, the good work that he's begun in us, and he is going to make us useful for the Father to do what? To share his love with others. And that's exactly what Paul does with Timothy. And he's correcting Timothy because Timothy is backing off on the correction. That's sort of the implication you get. He's getting fearful, and by the time you get to 2 Timothy, but Paul is urging him, listen, you need to correct. It's part of, it's not everything, it's part of shepherding. It's part of bringing people who are lost sheep back to the gospel. Okay, now let me ask you this. How many of you are perfect? How many of you are just like Jesus? Okay, now I'm asking myself the same question I'm asking you. Why do we expect our children to be that way? When we share with them the gospel and we set down the word of God, what we are trying to do is we're trying to show them the character of God. It's a standard that they cannot measure up to. They cannot. Next time we gather together, we're going to talk about the role of the law in shepherding our children and the role of the law and shepherd in our home, okay? But we're coming back to us, okay? How many of us need correction from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Okay. We're going to need it till Jesus comes back. Is that an amen? Okay. And the good thing that we can look forward to is the same Father and the same Savior and the same Holy Spirit who corrected Paul corrects us. He does it through the process of sanctification. He does it with his word. And he does it in his local church. And he does it in love. And he comes into our lives in those areas where we're deviating from the gospel. And usually, many times, we don't notice it. He's speaking gently to us and saying, this is not in keeping with the gospel. This is not in keeping with the gospel. This is not in keeping with the character of Christ. And if we're honest... Sometimes we get it, and many times we don't. We keep on going down that same path because there's something that we want that we don't want to let go of. 
job, career, spouse, some, some, some of those things, okay? And if you go down the path of what it is and how we typically correct and what we look at correction and how we address it, it's there down at the bottom, okay? God's correction is redemptive and restorative. It points to Christ and the gospel. But man's correction is punitive and controlling. It points to what I want. So much of our correction, whether it be in the church, relationships, or children, or homes, or family, we have to ask ourselves, is this to bring someone and point them to Christ? Or am I trying to control an outcome? It's late at night, I'm sermon prepping, my sermon's not ready, the kids are screaming, it's just a hypothetical. And I'm having a hard time getting it done. I come up, I say, guys, can you stop? Once. Second time, guys, can you stop? Twice, no. Guys, can you stop? Smoke is coming out of my ears, right? Getting frustrated. This is just Pastor Mark. Nobody else gets that, right? Why? Honey, we need kids who are in submission. We need to manage our household well. Why aren't you on top of this? Honey, God wants children who honor the Lord and obey their parents. Kids, are you honoring and obeying your parents? Okay, what's the heart behind that? I want the house to be quiet so I can get on with my sermon prep. I want my kids to behave well because when they don't behave well, it's hard for who? Me. That's not Christ's heart, is it? It's not the Father's heart. He does correct. He does discipline. He does bring at times the rod when he needs to. But ultimately, his end and his goal is that we would know the love of Christ and we would be like Christ so we can walk with him. His desire is that unity with Christ. Can I have my next slide, please? I'm almost done. Paul, in those verses, when we get down to 5 through 7, okay, he tells Timothy very clearly where this charge to correct comes from, right? He says it comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, and the aim is love, okay? A pure heart comes from a heart that has been forgiven by the blood of Christ, a good conscience comes from a sense of right and wrong that is informed not by my feelings or my experience, but the word of the Lord. A sincere faith is a gift from God that places all our trust, not in my ability to change someone, but entirely in God. Right? I can't change. I can control, I can make it so miserable for my kids, or I can incentivize so much that they do what I want until I'm out of the picture. I can try and motivate them, but I can't change their heart. What's the aim? Christ's love, which is a stark contrast from my flesh and my control. And the Apostle Paul is pointing to the heart of gospel correction, okay? So here's almost my closing. God corrects us to give us this heart. He does so sometimes with difficult people in our lives. He does so with difficult circumstances or jobs. He does so with health issues. 
He does so with various challenges that he uses to point us back to himself. But, you know, if we were actually listening, many times before life gets hard, he's actually speaking to us repeatedly through his word, through the hymns we sing, through the times we're together repeatedly in different aspects of our lives. To ask us, this area of work, this relationship, the way you talk, the things that you do, is this consistent with the gospel? Is this coming from a pure heart, right? Is it coming from a good conscience? And is it coming from a sincere faith that trusts in God and what God desires for me or what I want, okay? In fact, God is graciously correcting us more than we know. Can I have my next slide, please? Thank you, okay? Regeneration is a new birth where God gives you a new heart so that you can walk with him. If you're saved, that's what we celebrated at baptism last week. The belief is it's not just an instruction book. You have a new heart. And after God gives you a new heart, like a child, you need to grow. And for most of us, like Pilgrim's Progress, it's a zigzag process. Three steps forward, two steps back. And God is gracious, and that is called progressive sanctification. And gradually, eventually over time, in God's time and His way, at the end, we will either die or Christ will come and we will be like Him. But throughout the entirety of that, we need the loving help of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we need Him to correct us. Because I don't know about you, but I get it wrong, and I get lost, and I have good days and I have bad days. And both of those can be off. Praise God, Emmanuel Christ with us. Praise God, the local church. Praise God, the Holy Spirit. Praise God for a wife one Monday says, Mark, what you're saying isn't consistent with what you preached yesterday. How is this? You're discouraged because someone you've counseled for how long and they still have hard hearts. Mark, is that consistent with the gospel? No, it's Christ who changes. It's not my timeline, right? Where I'm going with this, brothers and sisters, and can you pull up my last slide? Thank you. Okay. It's really simply this. If we want to be able to correct our children in a manner that is glorifying to God, and if you guys want, I can email these to you and set it up so you can download them all, okay, if we want to, it begins with us. Stuart Scott would remind Julie and I, and we've shared this with many of you, okay? Our children are God's instrument of sanctification in our lives. Are they saved? We don't know. But certainly when I stand before the Lord, he's going to ask, Mark, what did you do with all the opportunities I gave you, including many of the hard times with the boys, to hear what I was saying to you and allow me to shepherd my, your heart? Did you resist it and say, I've got it under control, I'm right, because I'm dad? Or were you willing to be shepherded? Were you willing to confess and go to the elders or go to others and say, guys, I'm struggling with this. This gets me really hot. It presses my button. Were you willing to confess it to the Lord and say, Lord, I need help with some of these things. Would you shepherd my heart, and would you do it in a gentle manner? Julie knows that. I pray that frequently. God, shepherd me and correct me, but can you do it as gently as possible, okay? I'm a wimp, all right? And, you know, he's gracious, and he does, because he's a good father. Correction should be a regular part of our lives, gospel correction. 
that is one of the reasons God has put the local church. It's not all the reasons we're here, but it, it's part of it. It's one of the blessings. Boy, I would rather be corrected by you than the rest of the world and the people who are out there. I'd rather have Julie come alongside and say, Mark, you need to pull it back at the soccer games a little bit. Okay? I'd far rather have that. Rather have Ted and Kevin and Peter and different men come alongside and say, what about this? And to go and open up the scriptures and pray and come to the Lord and say, Lord, would you shepherd my heart? Would you expose presumptive sins? And would you show me the direction I need to go? And to call up a doctor's street or to call up the godly people in my life and say, listen, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with this. Talking to Dr. Grisanti this summer and saying, Dr. Grisanti, I'm kind of struggling with this. What do you think? And him saying, Mark, I want you to be gracious in this situation. And, and my flesh saying, gracious, but, and just seeing, no, this is God's correction. God has put this godly man in my life to listen and to hear, to be slow to speak, to be quick to listen, okay? So I'm going to end it here. I'm going to come to you and say, okay, think about some of the areas in your life that have been hard. Think about some of the areas in our life with our children that have been hard. Think about the ways in which God is getting your attention to say, are your goals to be pleasing to Christ? Are you willing to be shepherded by God in the same way the apostle Paul and Peter and all of those men were? Do we believe that God loves us? And I think what you will find is when you let the Lord correct you, He is gentle. It's typically the hard-headed guys who do high-handed sin who the Lord has to come down hard on. And he does that in love too. But more often than not, God is gentle and gracious and kind in ways that we don't see. And you'll see that when he corrects and he sets straight those broken bones in our lives, there is a sweetness and a joy and a delight and a fellowship with Christ after that didn't exist before that fills your heart with the love of Christ. And that spreads to everyone in your life, including our children. Okay? So, that's for you to meditate on, to think of the areas in your life that God is correcting you and doing so graciously. I'm going to ask you, because I went way too long, so you guys pray for me, for God's correction in my life, that I will be brief. But why don't we take... Just 10 minutes, okay? It's 125. I know the kids got to get out. But why don't you just get together with some of the people in the row, four or five, maybe just share a couple of thoughts, okay? Whatever. You can disagree with it totally. Okay, as far as correction and correction in our lives, what's new, what's confusing, what you don't understand, and then take a few minutes that we would pray for one another, okay? And just pray that the Lord will give us hearts to receive with joy the correction that he has for us, okay? So I'll let you do that, and then at 1.35, I'm going to ask Teddy to come up and close our time in prayer.